Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Fresh Takes from What Fresh Tell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Amy. And today I am talking to Carla Nomberg. She's a writer, mother, and clinical social worker. She's the author of three parenting books, Parenting in the Present Moment, How to Stay Focused on What Really Matters, Ready, Set, Breathe, Practicing Mindfulness with Your Children for Fewer Meltdowns and a More Peaceful Family, and the book we're really going to talk about today, The Best Selling, How to Stop Losing Your With Your Kids, which not only explains why we exploited our children, but also teaches us everything we need to know to decrease stress and increase patience, even in the most challenging family moments. Carla lives outside of Boston with her husband, her daughters, and her two totally insane cats. Carla, welcome. Thanks for talking to me. Thanks, Amy. I'm so glad to be here. I mean, if there's a universal topic, this is it. The first thing I loved about this book, and there are many, is that you sort of free us from the idea that this is personal or makes us uniquely horrible that we do this sometimes. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the hardest things for me to realize as when my children were quite young, I have two daughters who are now 12 and 10. And when they were little, and I was losing my temper with them all the time, I really thought I was the only one mm-hmm. I had somehow tricked myself into believing that every other parent on the planet was calm and patient and happy all the time, no matter what. And that was just like, piling on the guilt and shame. It made me feel so much worse. And the truth is, every single parent I know, including myself, loses my, okay, so I can't talk anymore, but I lose (laughs) it too, right? I lose my temper too. And, And after working on this for over a decade and writing this book, I lose it a whole lot less often and less intensely than I used to. And I get back on track more quickly. But I don't want any listener out there to think that there is some magic bullet where you will never, ever lose your temper again. That's not going to happen, but we can get better at it. And that's what this book is about. We can get, all right. So that's our goal. And just to define what we mean when we talk about losing it with our kids, you sort of carve out what a toxic explosion is and sort of talk about like, this kind of thing isn't okay and you shouldn't be doing this. This other thing is sort of more, I don't want to say garden variety, but can you define that sort of toxic explosion, sort of not what we're talking about thing? Yeah. Look, I think that some parents think that it's, never okay to display an angry, frustrated, negative emotion in front of your kids. And that's just not true. Like it's any emotion. And I say this to parents and I say this to kids all the time. Any emotion is okay. It may not feel good, Mm. but there's nothing wrong with any emotion. 
The issue is what do we do with it, right? What's the corresponding behavior? I say to my daughters, it's okay to be mad at your sister. You just can't throw your shoe at her, right? And so I want to be clear with parents. I think it's okay to say to your kids, I'm angry. I'm frustrated to let them know this. The problem really comes when our behaviors are kind of out of control and we react in a way the kid is going to have a hard time making sense of it. Let me give you an example because let me explain why that's a big issue. Children are naturally very self-centered. So if your kid seems completely self-centered, know that that is developmentally appropriate. (laughs) Congratulations. (laughs) Doesn't mean they're a psychopath, right? This is how their little brains work. They're completely egotistical. And so when I asked my daughter 14 times to put on her shoe in, in the morning, which I still do after 12 years, and she doesn't do it. And then eventually I snap at her. In her mind, she goes, oh, well, mom, I don't know. Maybe she's thinking nothing. She's probably thinking nothing. But if she were thinking something in that moment, she could be thinking, mom asked me a bunch of times. I didn't do it. And that's why she snapped. Okay, that makes sense. But let's say my daughter spills her Cheerios. This is the thing that happens. And let's say just for the sake of this story, when I was a kid and I spilled my Cheerios, my parents just exploded Mm -hmm. at me, completely lost it, screamed, shouted through the remote, whatever it is. And I'm recreating that with my daughter, which is a thing that happens, right? We inadvertently recreate our own child, our old childhood. My daughter is not going to be able to make sense of that because it doesn't make sense. It's out of proportion. That's exactly right. It's out of proportion. And that feels scary, unpredictable, and kids because they're egotistical, are more likely to say, I must be doing something wrong. There's something wrong with me to deserve that level of explosion. Now, the other reason kids think that is because we adults are the ones who keep them safe in the world. And it is just too terrifying to think this person who's supposed to keep me safe actually isn't safe, right? Mm -hmm. Now, before I freak out all your listeners, listeners, do not freak out, please. We all have these toxic blowups, right? Where... The world has just piled too much onto us. And this is happening more than ever right now is, you know, after a year into COVID, where we just can't handle another thing. We just cannot. And so the Cheerios get spilled. It's the straw that broke the mom's back and we lose it. This does not mean your kid is going to like fall apart for the rest of their lives because there are so many things we can do. And we'll probably get to this later, Amy, to like reconnect with our children and repair it. Yeah. But to be clear, when I am talking about losing it with your kids, what I'm talking about is an out of control emotional explosion that is disproportional to what's happening. Okay. Even if you're not, you know, warping your kid's future when you do it, you're just like, oh, why can't you remember to put on your shoes? It's something that's not, you know, frightening them and, and is not out of proportion, at least where we're coming from. It's still, I mean, you make the really good point in the book that your meltdowns, when you have them, our meltdowns, use up precious time and energy without actually fixing the problem or preventing it from happening again. It makes me think of that meme of, you know, that you see of like, you know, put on your shoes, put on your shoes, put on your shoes. And then the mom's like, put on your shoes. And then it cuts to the kids saying like, why is mom yelling? Right? Like they're just sort of, (laughs) whoa, crazy person flying off the handle again. And they have missed the first 37 parts of that. It's not effective, right? Like yelling and screaming at our kids that we're 10 minutes late doesn't help us not be late the next time. It's not even useful. 
That's right. And look, here's what I'll say. I always talk about thinking about what your family culture is. And some families are just loud and emotive all over the place. Mm. And that's how they work. And if it's working for your family, it is totally fine. Right. And I think about like my big fat Greek wedding, right? If anybody's seen this movie, it's about these two families joining. And one is this very sort of Greek, big family. Everybody's got big feelings. And that's the kind of family I grew up in. And then my husband's family is more like the kind of pinned down, quiet, this is how we do things family. And there's nothing wrong with either one of them. There's just how they are, right? So if you're an emotive family, that's okay. You just are, not a problem. But what I will say back to what you were saying, Amy, is absolutely the problem with sort of yelling at your kids in the morning is, I don't know, you can sort of maybe scare them into doing what you want, which works a few times. And I have certainly been guilty of that from time <laughs> to time. But if you do it too often, it loses its power, right? Right. Then you just got to turn it right. Now you have to turn up to 11 the next time and then 14 to get it to work. And then you're like throwing pans mm-hmm. and it doesn't mm-hmm. end well. But also, it doesn't feel good. It increases everybody's stress. It impacts your relationship. That's not awesome. And so what I would say is, if and when you identify a recurrent problem, step back when you're not all frustrated and trying to rush out the door and see if you can come up with a solution. And I'll give you an example. So I don't know a single parent whose kid in the morning like instantly has their shoes on. And if you are that parent, please don't come meet me because I'll be in <laughs> Don't ruin our curve here, right? By coming in and saying your kid does it. Don't. Come on, don't. I don't want to know about it. But I do know a dad. I've heard this story and I think it's amazing and I tell it a lot. A dad who was like, how do I get a kid to learn a thing? And I think he was like a soccer coach or something. So he said, we run drills. So on the weekend, he made his kids run drills of putting on their shoes, packing up their backpacks and getting out the door. And they did it over and over again until they could do it. And I was like, that is both brilliant And I literally don't think I have the energy to ever do that. And so I made an active choice that I'm just going to keep struggling with my kids about their (laughs) shoes in the morning. And it's fine. It's just a thing because I don't have my act together to run drills on the weekend. But you can get if there's like a sticky point that you come into over and over again, you can try to get creative. But yeah, snapping at the last minute is not going to change anything. Yeah. And it's not good for you. Like you made the point that it actually there are costs to this, of course, for our kids, but also ourselves when we live with what Margaret calls the yelling flu. She talks about sometimes she gets in bed at night and it's like, I have a sore throat. Am I coming down with something? (laughs) Not so much. It was just one of those days. Right. And it's not good for us. It's not the way we want to live. But I think it's helpful. We always talk on the show about how it's so hard for moms because we have the feeling and then we have guilt about the feeling, right? There's that extra layer about, right, any feeling that isn't positive or wonderful, we feel bad that we have the feeling. So we're dealing with that and the feeling. And it puts us at even more of a remove for doing something about it. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about why it's hard to stop because none of us want to do this. None of us want to, you know, lose our minds. And if wanting were enough, there wouldn't be this book, right? But it's not enough, speaking from experience. Yeah. Why isn't willpower sort of enough for this? So I don't believe in willpower. Mm. (laughs) Okay. Not in any sustainable way. I think it's a BS idea. Look, willpower is basically a muscle. And if you read the research by Kelly McGonigal and other people about willpower, it is a muscle and you wear it down over time, over the course of the day. And so every time a person has to make a decision that involves willpower, they're draining themselves a little bit. And for so many of us, we are making that decision from the moment we wake up in the morning and drag ourselves <laughs> right, out of bed, right? Right. Today, I'm not going to... Yeah. Do I have the willpower to fight this with my kid? Do I have the willpower to not have an eighth cup of coffee? Do I have a, like whatever it is? And it's just not sustainable. So let's come up with another model of why we're losing our tempers with our kids. Okay. Because it's not that we're not good parents. 
It's not that our kids are horrible little people who deserve to like be yelled at all the time. It's not that we don't love our kids enough or we're not strong enough. It's that we as parents do not have the enough information, resources, and support to do this job well. Wow. We don't have what it takes. Yeah. And that's not to say we individual parents are lacking. What it means is we are parenting in a culture and society, especially mothers. I'm just going to, I'm going to say it. Although I wonder if that's starting to change during the pandemic. I don't think so. Cause what you hear about is mothers quitting their jobs. So clearly we're still shouldering the burden of this. The default parent became the super default parent, right? That's right. And so we are expected to be the perfect everything parent often while we are working. And even if you're not working, it's still too much. And stay calm and happy the entire time. And it's just not possible. And let me give you an example of how this has changed over time. So the word parenting wasn't actually a verb until like the 1970s. Wow, that's really interesting. It just wasn't a thing. It wasn't a job. Like you had kids and you kept them alive so they could take over the blacksmithery or become <laughs> a teacher like you or a nurse or whatever. Like, you know, that's you did it because you were genetically inclined to do it, right? That's all. And you keep the species alive. Good job. But now it's like this actual job. And for so many moms, we know that in many parts of the country, women are waiting longer to have children. Many women have had careers before we have children. And so we bring that career mindset in that this is a thing I can learn. This is a thing I can get better at. This is a thing I better damn well be doing a good job at. And if I'm not doing a good job, I better call in the right experts to tell me what to do, or I better have a damn good story about why I haven't fixed this problem. So that approach doesn't actually work. It makes us tense and stressed, and it makes us lose our temper. The other issue is how parenting has changed in the past decades, especially with so many women going back into the workforce. So what was a woman, here's a little pop quiz for you, Amy, what was a woman in the 1950s who didn't work outside the home called? She was just called a mom, because that's all there was. There's one kind. No, no, no. Nope. She was called. Nope. She was a housewife. Yeah. I do remember. I recall. I should have gotten that one right. I was there. Yeah. Not in the 50s, but yeah, housewife. Yeah, my mother, like on the forms for school, was housewife. That was her um, occupation. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And so her job was to take care of the house. Ah, she wasn't. Yeah. Her children ran wild, right? After school, you'd run around in the streets and there'd be a mom around hanging out, keeping an eye on the kids. And the moms would be, I don't know, this is a fantasy to any woman who lived through the 50s and is like, I call BS on you, Carla. That is legit because, you know, this is what I've read. I was not alive in the 50s. But now what are we called? We're called stay at home moms. Uh, Yep. And so the pressure is on to be this perfect parent. Back then, I just posted a picture on Instagram of a woman who literally turned, she was in the park with her baby. She turned a garbage can upside down over her baby to like make a playpen. I saw that one from the 70s. I'm going to put it in the show notes because you guys have got to see this. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. And can you imagine if we did that now, we would have social services called on us so freaking fast. Absolutely. And this woman's like, I'm going to garbage can my baby so I can sit here and crochet, (laughs) right? And so the pressure is unsustainable. And when a human being tries to do something for an extended period of time without the right information, resources, and support, they fall apart. And what that looks like for many parents is losing your cool with your kids. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, I want to find out how we are going to approach this with a more useful framework. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. 
Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different and fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen.me and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, we're back. I'm talking to Carla Nomberg. Her book is called How to Stop Losing Your With Your Kids. Okay, Carla. You said many things in this book that kind of blew my mind, but one of them was this, that kids are hardwired to push our buttons and that we are wired to freak out when our buttons are pushed. Like this, when we lose our stuff with our kids, the whole system is in fact working as it was designed to do in a way. Can you say more about that? Isn't that weird? Yeah. Yeah, it's true. So look, I see our temper explosions, our meltdowns as part of our, what I call the fight, flight, freeze, or freak out response. So most of you probably learned about this in high school biology, that when, you know, back way back when our nervous systems developed, we were developed that if a saber-toothed tiger came at us, we're wired to either fight or run away. And now we know that women tend to do a thing called tend and befriend a little bit more, which is reach out to your support system, which is a big yay for that one. Let's all get more support. But in those moments when we are stuck at home with our kids, who we can perceive as a threat, because let's think about it. Today's threats aren't necessarily physical, right? Most of us, if we're lucky, never have a saber-toothed tiger come at us. But the threats we face have become social, emotional, financial, right? And our kids, when they behave in certain ways, it can feel threatening, even though we know like our emotional safety can feel at risk. And so we still have this nervous system that is wired to respond in a very physical way to an emotional threat. So our muscles can get tense, our heart rate can speed up, our pupils can dilate. And here's the part, here's the kicker, folks. The part of our brain that can keep us calm, plan ahead, modulate our emotions, behave like a grown-up is called our prefrontal cortex. It's right behind the forehead. When we are in fight or flight mode, 
that part of our brain essentially shuts down because if you're trying to run away from a tiger, you don't need to be solving algebra. Uh-huh. And the part of our brain, our limbic system, the sort of what I think of as the reactive toddler brain kicks in because that's the energy we need when we're being threatened. We just need to flip out and run away. Right? Right, right. And so at the very moment when we really need this part of our brain to help us calm down, we don't have access to it. Uh huh. So by all of this is to say what I hope listeners are taking from this is that your flip out is so deeply human. It's nothing wrong with you. It's how our bodies were designed. And so I want people to think about our nervous system as a series of buttons all over our body. And the more stressed, the more exhausted, the hungrier, the more scared or anxious or anything we are, the bigger and brighter and more sensitive those buttons become. And if you've ever taken a kid in an elevator, you know what happens the minute they see a button. They want to push it. They want to push the right. hell out of it. All of them, repeatedly. Right. And it's not because they hate you. Right. Right? It's because they want to keep your attention on them. That's a normal kid thing to do. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. It's because it's fun to see what happens. It's because they're immature. Like, literally, their brains aren't matured yet. They are governed by that toddler brain because their prefrontal cortex has not yet developed. It won't develop till they get into college. You know what? They also do it because they are triggered, right? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. They're like, look how distressed I am. Let me show you by inducing in you the same emotional state, how I'm feeling right now. Absolutely. They're hungry. They're tired. They're scared. They're anxious. They're angry. They're confused. And they don't have, because of this immaturity, they don't have more skillful ways to communicate this to you. So they come and push your button. So the most effective way to prevent your own maternal meltdown, the first step is to take care of your buttons. Get enough sleep, right? Get some exercise every day. Get away from your kids from time to time, as in every day if you can. And I realize I'm saying that to a listenership that may have been stuck home with their children, you know, for months on end. And we'll talk about... (laughs) For 14 months now, right. (laughs) Right, what to do about that. But I have a whole list of ideas in the book that, look, this isn't rocket science. I didn't come up with anything that nobody hasn't heard before. But what I want parents to start thinking is your, these self care practices are directly connected to your ability to stay calm with your children. Yeah. If you need, a lot of us, unfortunately, need that messaging, like this will make you a better parent. Like you should go for a walk in the afternoon because you want to and because it's good for you, not just because it will make you a better parent. But if it helps you take that time without guilt, then know that that's true, I guess, right? That that really will help you be calmer at bath time tonight when they get really cranky. Oh, 100%. And my daughters have actually gotten to a point where if I'm too cranky, they'll be like, mommy, did you get exercise today? And I want to be like, <laughs> zip your little trap, child. I don't say it. I'm just like, no, that's that's a really good point. Deep breath, deep breath. You know, yeah. And I know for me, you know, we all have different sort of maybe zones of tolerance, I might say, or levels of flexibility. Like my husband is just naturally, thank the Lord, an even keeled person. You have to push him pretty far. Like his buttons are just naturally smaller and less sensitive than mine. So the the girls have to push him pretty hard to get a reaction out of him, even when he hasn't slept much, even when he hasn't, you know, exercised or whatever it is for him. And for me, it's like I was born with an enormous set of buttons. I'm super sensitive And a lot of things can set me off. And so it's like the care and keeping of Carla Manuel got so much thicker when I became a mother. Mm. And I just, I have to, it's non-negotiable. I've been, you know, I, there's a series of things I have to do every day 
And this, I got to be honest, Amy, this irritates me. I am very annoyed. <laughs> like I require such massive amounts of self-care in order to parent well, but I just do. And it's important to me. So I do it. You talk in the book too about triggers, yeah. about, you know, defining what they are, right? Getting curious about them. And there's a bunch of categories. Can we talk about some of the different categories of triggers? Because I think some of them are kind of surprising. Yeah. And, but recognizable, like, oh, you're right, that is a trigger. My super scientific definition of a trigger in the book is anything that makes it more likely you're going to lose it with your kids, okay. right? And some triggers are really common. Grief is a trigger. Exhaustion is a trigger. Anxiety is a trigger. Physical pain is a trigger. These are all pretty common triggers. And so I hope listeners are making the connection that for most of us, our baseline of trigger has gone way up during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. We're anxious, we're scared, we're not getting out of the house enough. We're not, you know, it's a combination of being more triggered and having less access to self-care. But there's other things I want folks to think about. And in fact, I wrote such a long list of triggers that my editor was like, oh, that's boring. you got to put it in the back of the book, put it in, like it's, you know, it's in the back. But I don't mean to freak people out, but I want people to be aware. So for example, holidays can be a trigger. Painful anniversaries can be a trigger. Mother's Day, we just finished Mother's Day. That can be a trigger yeah, for a lot of folks. Very complicated. Yeah, complicated. Stress and overwhelm. Okay, social media, major trigger. How often do we log on to social media and we see all these other parents who are like, they appear to be at least rocking this pandemic thing. Look, I just taught my kids calculus in the five minutes between right. soccer class and our knitting class. And I was like, really? Really, because my kid is stuck on Roblox all day. Right. So what I remind parents of is that it's okay to unfollow your friends. Doesn't mean you don't like them. It doesn't mean you don't love them. It just means they're not the right match for you on social media. Also, I encourage people, please don't compare your insides to somebody else's outsides. Mm -hmm. Don't compare your reality to their carefully scripted social media feed. Just don't. If you can avoid it, don't do that. For lots of people, sensory stuff is a trigger. And for me, it sure is. Chewing, annoying chewing and uh, loud walking. <laughs> but so much yeah. touching. Why are you people touching me? <laughs> you know, so I will say that multitasking is a huge trigger. Trying to do multiple things at once, especially when one of those involves your children. Yeah. Just increases your stress, freaks you out. And so if you cannot multitask as often, or at least when you're with your kids, and that's a big ask, I know. It'll help. Just yesterday, I'm looking at my phone and I wasn't on Facebook. I forget what I was doing. I was like answering some some question that I needed to answer for one of my other kids things. And my youngest was saying to me, mom, how do you spell weather like what it's like outside? And I turn around and tell her. And then I read the sentence that she wrote down and, you know, she had spelled it wrong. I'm like, no, no, that's the other weather, W-H. And she's like, I asked you. And I was looking at my phone. So I just heard her say weather outside. And she had actually said the word weather, not the one outside, the other one that's a question, right? And she was so frustrated with me. It was this look on her face was clearly like, there's that thing. There's that partial attention thing that I that I get, which is clearly a trigger for her, by the way, that I could not help but acknowledge as real. Yeah. And so what I would say to parents is this is why it's a extra important to find time to get away from your kids because they're around all the time. And if that means giving them extra screen time, that's okay. You're allowed to do that to get some headspace, right? Especially mm -hmm. during this pandemic when we couldn't send them to soccer practice or to school or wherever they might normally go. But what I would also say is in situations like that, Amy and I, I have them multiple times every single day, we have two choices. One is we can either try to stop what we're doing for a minute and pay attention to our child, or we can work on teaching our children to wait. Hmm. And I see so many parents, and I think this is cultural. It's not any one parent's fault. 
that for some reason, we no longer ask our kids to wait. It's a good point, right? Because I definitely took that on myself that, you know, that it was my fault for not giving her my full attention, but she also could have waited 10 seconds. You're right. I didn't even think about that. Right. And I, for a long time, I didn't either. And I have gotten better at saying to my kids, it's a practice for me. It's not my first reaction, which is such a weird thing because there's nothing wrong with asking our kids to wait. But I practice asking them to wait. And I would say about 50% of the time, they figure out the solution themselves in that time. Ah, another good point. So it's okay to sort of put your hand up and say, I need a couple minutes and then I can help you. That's an okay thing to do. Let's take another break. When we come back, I want to talk about what we do to repair things when we somehow manage to lose it anyway. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. We agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber, while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Amy, when I'm dehydrated, I get headaches. I get cranky and I don't feel good in general. Also, I am dehydrated a lot of the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> because being good with the water bottle is one thing, but getting that sodium and potassium with the fluids, turns out that is the key to saying optimally hydrated. So whether you're looking to hydrate during your workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, seven essential vitamins, and coconut water powder. Crisp and refreshing without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. Each box has 16 little stick packs that you can take on the go, whether you're headed to an exercise class, a night out with friends, or a podcasting conference. And did we mention they come in delicious flavors from raspberry lemonade to cherry pomegranate? Stay hydrated with Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes. Visit sportsresearch.com and use the code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's S-P-O-R-T-S-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H.com, sportsresearch.com, and use code WHATFRESH for 50% off your Hydrate Electrolytes order. Okay, I'm back. We're talking to Carla Nomberg about how to stop losing our S with our kids. Carla, sometimes we do anyway. Let's talk about repair because it's going to happen. And so how do we repair besides, you know, I don't know, swimming in our shame for a day or two? Oh, no. Please don't swim in your shame ever. That's not a thing you need to do. It's bad for you. <laughs> when you notice those guilty and shame feelings, which will arise, I can't make them magically disappear. I want folks to respond to themselves with compassion. Like, it's okay to lose it. It's okay that parenting is really hard. Just because something is hard, it doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. 
parenting's not easy, right? It's not easy for anybody. Right. Even the parents who somehow make it look easy, it's just not. So just because it's hard doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. And let's talk about how to repair. So there is a saying in the parenting writer expert world, rupture, repair, repeat. There's a break with your kids. You lose it. They lose it. You get in a fight about something, whatever it is, repair the situation. And then it repeats again. And so this is such a normal, typical thing to happen yeah. that we need a jingle for it, right? So hopefully that makes you feel better that this is just how the parent-child relationship works. Well, the repeat part does, right? It sort of normalizes that this is the thing that will happen more than once in your lifetime. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And the more triggered we all are, the more you know intense it's going to be and the more it's going to repeat. So most of us parents have the rupture part down. <laughs> We've got the repeat part down. Right. But we need a little help with the repair. So here's how I think about this. It's about reconnecting with your kid, right? And so the first step is you need to get calm. You need to calm yourself down. Your adrenaline is flowing. Your body's still in that fight, flight, freeze, freak out mode. And if you go try to reconnect with your kid when you're even still slightly pissed off and they don't come at you with anything short of, oh, mommy, I'm so sorry. I love you. I'll never do it again. You're going to lose it all over again. You just are. And so that's not going to work well. So give yourself the time and space you need to calm down. And I have a bunch of ideas in the book for how you can calm down. Um, Different people need different things. Some people like deep breaths. Some people will repeat a song, a prayer, a mantra, whatever. Some people need to really move their body because you've got all this energy from your fight or flight response, right? So can you get outside? Can you drop and do some push-ups or sit-ups? Can you jump up and down or go up and down the hallway? It's like, whatever, figure it out. It doesn't matter. Just do something. And then once you are legitimately calm, you can go apologize to your child. Now, here's how we apologize. We do not say, you know, I'm sorry I yelled at you, but I told you 27 times not to throw that ball in the house, right? right? If you find yourself saying that, as we all do from time to time, you're not calm yet. You're not ready to have this conversation. So go take some more time. Once you're ready, you can say, I'm sorry I yelled at you. So you apologizing for your behavior. You're not saying, I'm sorry I got angry. Because you don't have to apologize for your emotions. No emotion is wrong. Mm. You can say, I felt angry because, and you notice I'm coming at you with a lot of I messages. And the first time I thought heard I messages when I was a kid, I thought they were talking about their eyeball. And I was like, are we winking at people? No, we are not <laughs> winking at people. We are using I messages to start the sentence as opposed to you did this, you did that. So I am sorry I yelled at you. I was feeling angry because of X, Y, and Z. And then what I encourage parents to do is come up with a plan for the next chunk of time. Please don't say to your kids, I'll never do it again, because we all know that's baloney. You're going to do it again. It's life. That's okay. So what you're going to say is, like, take a moment, get curious about yourself. How are you doing? What do you have energy for today? So if you're like, I'm actually okay. I lost it, but I'm pulling it together. You can say, hey, how about we go play some cards or we go kick the soccer ball or let's whatever, like do a puzzle or read a book. Do you have the energy for that? And if you don't, you can say, you know what? It's a hard day and I am exhausted. I got nothing. Do you want to like turn on an audio book or watch some screen time, watch a TV show or something while I go drink a cup of tea? Because that's what I need right now. And that's okay. Like sometimes I will say to my kids, we just have to make it through till bedtime. It's going to be hard, but let's just try to be a team. Right. Same team. Here we are in the lifeboat. Yeah, totally. And it's okay to say that to your kids. Like today's a rough day and I don't have a lot of energy right now. So let's just, what do we need to do to make it through? And for parents of the littlest kids, right, you can say this to them. 
not going to register. They're not going to do anything differently. And that's when you need to do like lower all your standards, call in any support you have. This is when like, can you get a best friend or an aunt on FaceTime with your, with your toddler to like distract them? Like, what can you do to just get through the rest of the night and then get as much sleep as you can and start again? So now that we have the repair thing in place, the next step in our evolution towards becoming better parents, right, is to stop ourselves sort of just in time, right? Not the emotion, but the reaction. Yeah. And you have a three-step process that will help us maybe when we're on the precipice the next time. It's not about not getting to the angry feeling. It's about not doing the thing that happens next. Do I have that right? Right, right, right. So look, we may do all the self-care. You know, we're sleeping, we're exercising, we're spending time with our support system. We're doing the craft projects or the sports or whatever it is that makes us happy. And our kid will still find that button we didn't know was there and push it. Or maybe we can't do any of that. Maybe, you know, our cat was up barfing all night and we had to go to the vet and it's the middle of a pandemic. We can't find like everything falls apart. And so we have nothing left. Either way, we're going to end up in a position where we're losing it. We're on the verge of losing it. So the first step to not losing it in that moment is to notice that you are about to lose it. This is not an easy thing to do because for many of us, we can go from zero to absolute explosion in like three seconds. But the more you practice it, the easier it will become. And one way to practice it is to start by noticing your tells. Like, you know how in poker, people have tells, little things that they give away? Yeah. Your body and your mind and your thoughts and your feelings are all tells. So here's what I notice about myself when I'm about to lose it. I become super irritable. So literally my kid can just walk in the room. And my first thought is like, why would you do such a thing? And like, all they did was walk in the room, right? That's a good tell for me. Second is I start fantasizing about running away to Staples. I love office supplies. (laughs) The nearest office supply store for me is a Staples. And I literally have fantasies about this new notebook that I have to have. And so from- We all have our dreams. Yeah, 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 right? It's Why do I dream about Staples and not like a beach? I don't know, but this is where my mind goes. So when I notice the Staples fantasy come- that's a tell for me that I'm losing it. Also, my shoulders go way up by my ears. It's an incredibly uncomfortable, awkward position. And yet, I can literally walk around that way for like 10, 15 minutes, maybe all day. I don't know. That is also a tell. So when I notice the snippiness, the staples and the shoulders, I'm like, what, less than a minute away from absolutely losing it. So the first thing I do is try to drop my shoulders. That helps a lot. If you can release, you know, some kind of physical tension, even in the moment that helps. But noticing is the first step. The next step is to just breathe, right? You're going to just pause whatever you're doing. So notice, pause, do literally anything else. You're going to pause. What is the point of the pause? It is not to plan your revenge, although sometimes that's where our mind goes. It is, excuse me, not to like think about how horrible your kid is being and start to like list out your scroll of all the grievances they have caused against you. All you're doing is pausing. And the reason this is so powerful is because your nervous system in that moment is trying to make a decision. Do I freak out or not? And if it was an actual threat, you wouldn't pause. And so when you pause and breathe, it's like sending a message to your nervous system saying, there's not an actual threat here. Ah. You can pause, right? And so that is a powerful way to start to take your nervous system off high alert. And then chances are, though, if you've gotten to that point, there's already some adrenaline flowing. There's already some stuff going on. And so you need to get that energy out or calm it down. And this is the do literally anything else. And this is where we go back to 
dance around, say your prayer, do your push-ups, whatever it is. What I usually come to, because I do find for anybody who's ever yelled at their children, if any of you have, you may notice that in that moment of release of the yell, there's it actually dissipates some of the tension for just a brief yeah. moment, right? Feels pretty good, right? And that feels good. Half second after, yep. Yeah, I like that feeling, but I don't like how it makes my kids feel. And I don't like what it does to our relationship. Yeah. So what I often end up doing is like clucking like a chicken or making some (laughs) insane sound. And it just breaks up the moment. It kind of shocks everybody back to reality. And sometimes it's all we need. We move on. But sometimes there was actually a real thing happening and we need to discuss it, right? But sometimes just kind of humor, if it's your go-to thing, can work. The only trick with humor is you don't want to be like making fun of your kid, right? That's not helpful. Mm-hmm. What I would say, the only things I don't generally recommend for the do anything else category is I don't love the idea of screaming into a pillow or screaming in the other room only because whatever we're doing, we're always practicing something. And I think the thing we don't want to practice and get better at is yelling. Yep. Having said that, if that's all you have, do it. Go yell into the pillow, right? That's better than yelling at your kids. The other thing I would say is lots of parents actually, I think, unwittingly reach for their phone in that moment. Yep. And our phone is actually like a huge trigger waiting to happen either because, you know, we see some perfect parent on Instagram or we open up Facebook and some person we haven't thir- thought of in 30 years suddenly died and all of a sudden that feels horrible and we're triggered again. Or we open the news, which is like always bad. And so I would say if you can avoid picking up your phone in that moment, it's probably a good idea. So we're going to notice, pause, do literally anything else. And hopefully that will bring you down off of your like about to explode mode. The other thing I will say is you can stop exploding mid explosion. Like you can literally just shut your mouth. Hmm. This is very hard to do because at this point, your nervous system is like, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Like we're, we're out of control. So it's really, really hard. But if you can do it, that's okay. That is a thing you are allowed to do as a parent. And I have heard some parents come back at me and say, really? Because if I apologize, or if I stop in the middle of, you know, my tantrum, aren't I undermining my authority with my kids? Like, will they take me seriously? Yeah, they will. And I'll tell you why. Because in the long run, the only leverage you have is your relationship with your children. At some point, they're going to get big enough that they can just leave. Right? Mm -hmm. And then you got nothing. And so the thing that keeps our kids connected is not fear of us. It's their relationship with us. And when you can make that decision to modulate your own behavior and apologize, you are actually strengthening your relationship with your kids. The other thing I would say is we are modeling what do we want our kids to do? Wouldn't it be amazing if your child apologized on their own after they lose it or if they literally could stop their hand before it hit their spouse, their sibling? Right. That would be amazing. Right. We want them to see us doing that. Yeah, I was just thinking that like, wow, I never thought about that as a possibility, but it is hard to do. And I'm sure it would. I mean, I have three teenagers, but that's beyond their capabilities still, I think, due to their prefrontal cortex being where it is. And so they'd be like, wow, that was hard what you just did, right? It's like lifting a car off a baby. It's hard. If you can do it, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. So there are lots of options. 
for repairing the relationship with your kid. And so I think the goal for parents isn't to be the perfect, happy Stepford mom. It's to show our emotions, to experience them, to let our kids know that it's okay to have emotions in life, to practice, you know, picking a behavior that works. And I will say to my kids, guys, I'm so tense and stressed right now. And I'm so frustrated that I'm about to yell at you. So I'm actually going to go in the other room, put my hands flat on the counter. There's something about that like firmness of the counter that kind of calms me down. I'm going to take a bunch of deep breaths. And if you follow me, I will probably bite your head off. (laughs) And the first time I said that, my daughter was like five and she was so concrete and she didn't know what the phrase bite your head off means. And her eyes got huge and she was like terrified. And I was like, oh God, I'm not actually going to bite your head off. (laughs) So you might have to explain that one. But it is okay to use words to tell your kids how you're feeling and ask for what you need. And guess what, moms? You get to have needs in this relationship and you get to tend to your needs. Mm. That's a thing that makes you a good mom. That's a thing you can do. Amazing, right? This conversation has blown my mind 10 more times as I knew it would. Carla Nomberg's book is How to Stop Losing Your S with Your Kids. Carla, I love this book. And tell me like what you're working on now. So I'm thinking a lot about self-compassion. This is my favorite thing to think about right now and practice because in these times when so many parents are stuck between two horrible decisions, both of which feel really bad. Mm-hmm. When we're stuck being told we have to work from home, when we have a two-year-old, I don't know how that's possible. It's not. There's no good answers and no easy fixes. And I'm thinking about how we're all going to need to have so much grace and compassion for ourselves as we come out of this. And so that's kind of where my brain is living these days. And, and hopefully there will be something coming out at some point about that. And where can we find your work? Like, Where are you on Twitter, your website? Tell us about that. My website is carlanomberg.com and you can find links to all my social media accounts from there. I'll put all of that in the show notes so you guys can find it easily. Carla, thank you so much for talking to me today. Amy, this was a great conversation. Thank you. Thanks. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now, Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how 
all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life stucks.